0: So, in this message today, this is the next to last sermon in this series on Jesus' I Am statements, but we're actually going to look at the first of the I Am statements in John. And I I purposely saved it for today because I just felt like it was a perfect uh, tie-in to us observing the Lord's Supper today. Remember that through these statements... Uh, about Jesus, about who He is, that we're not just listening to somebody's opinion about Jesus. It's not just what Pastor David thinks about Jesus. We are hearing from Jesus in His own words about who He is and what He came to do. He is the great I Am. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God who revealed His covenant name to Moses at the burning bush. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus was the world's greatest preacher and teacher, yes. He was the world's greatest miracle worker, yes. But as we've learned, He came to do so much more than just give truth or mend and heal broken bones and bodies. He came to do more than just to fill hungry bellies. Yet for many people in today's passage, that's all they were interested in. Jesus was just a miracle worker there to give Him a free lunch. And for a lot of people today, it's the same thing. Jesus is just like a, a heavenly ATM that you stick in your prayer card or your faith card and you get whatever it is that you want. But all of that misses the point of who Jesus is and what He came to do. He doesn't just come to give us bread. He is the bread of life. Our New Testament reading this morning in John chapter 6, and if you want to turn in your Bibles there, that's where we're going to be today. John chapter 6, it's the story of the feeding of the 5,000 men. Now, you add the women and the children to that, it was far greater than just feeding 5,000 people. This was truly a mind-boggling miracle, and it's the only one of, it's only one of two miracles that are recorded in all four Gospels. Uh, this, the feeding of the 5,000, and then, of course, the resurrection of Jesus. So we know this must be a profound miracle if the Spirit of God inspired Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to all four record this moment. And if you think that this will be a hard miracle to top, you know what Jesus did to follow up? He walked on water in a storm. I mean, it's truly an amazing uh, series of events. And it's at the end of these that we come to our text today, which is a a time of intentional teaching and even confrontation that Jesus had with with the people who were confused, with His disciples whom He's challenging, and even with us whom He's asking to make a decision about how we're going to respond to the bread of life. So look with me. We're going to start in John chapter 6 with verse 26. So Jesus says, walked on water. He's fed the 5,000. He's gone across the sea. The disciples were in the boat. He was walking on water. They get to the other side. They're back in Capernaum. And the people want to follow Jesus. They they want to know where He went. They They want to see Him do more of this. And so they make their way to Capernaum. And we pick that up in verse 26. Jesus answered them, "'Truly I tell you, you're looking for Me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes.'" but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set His seal of approval on Him. "'What can we do to perform the works of God?' they asked. Jesus replied, "'This is the work of God, that you believe in the One He has sent.'" "'What, sign then, are you going to do so that we may see and believe you?' they asked. "'What are you going to perform?' "'Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it was written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat.'" And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for Your Word. We're Thankful for this time of worship that we've had together today. And we know that Your Holy Spirit, who has inspired this Word, is ready to enlighten us and give us insight into these amazing truths. And so we pray, God, our hearts and minds would be open to what Your Spirit would have to say to each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is sort of an interactive lesson, this this conversation that Jesus is having with the crowd and with His disciples. Uh, And through this, we discover that the bread of life is a better bread. It's a true bread. And when we feast on Jesus, the bread of life, we discover some, some ways in which it's better. First, we see that the bread of life satisfies us with a better purpose. A better purpose. Look back at verse uh, 26 and 27. So uh, there, Jesus is—he's caught on to them. He knows—he knows what the deal is here. They're—they're not coming to him because they've seen these miraculous signs and they're wanting deeper spiritual truth and insight. No, they want their bellies filled. They got a free lunch. They want more. You know, like Ben said, when you when you eat all that, you know, bread at lunch, whatever, by supper time, you're what? You're hungry again, right? And they want more free food. So Jesus understands what's going on here. And so He tells them in verse 27, don't work for the food that perishes, for food that just lasts a little while and then you're hungry again. He says, work for the food that lasts for eternal life. See, the people are missing the point. The miraculous signs were meant to point them to Jesus, but all they could focus on was the miracle, the bread, the fish, the wine, the the, the the blind receiving side, all they could focus on were the miracles. And so for them, it's like parlor tricks. And they're just like, do it again, Jesus. Do it again. I want to see that one again. Can you do that again for us? And we may kind of chuckle at that and, and sort of shake our heads, but aren't we the same? I mean, our lists of wants don't ever seem to end, do they? We always want more. And if all we're looking for God to do is what He can do for us, Listen to me. He'll never be able to do enough. Not because of his lack of resources, don't get me wrong, but because of our lack of gratitude. Because of our insistence on self-centeredness. You see, it's not that God can't satisfy. He can. But it's that oftentimes we don't want to be satisfied. We just want more. What can you do for me, Jesus? Selfishness is the bread that spoils. It's the bread that gets moldy. We have this consumerist mentality that makes it all about me. And so we never find satisfaction. Because like the crowd, we're not seeking the things of God. We're just seeking for God to give us the things that we want. You see the difference there? Because we'll always want more. More. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about this specifically. He says, the pagans run after all these things. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? What kind of car am I going to drive? What kind of house am I going to live in? Can I get a better job? He says, all the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. He knows that we need a house. He knows we need transportation. He knows that we need uh, food to eat and, and, and drink to drink and clothes to wear. Jesus says, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. Our focus is wrong. The purpose for which we work is wrong. This is illustrated powerfully in a quote from Phil Vischer, the the guy who created VeggieTales. Uh, And he wrote this book called Me, Myself, and Bob, and, and he critiques really American culture today. And he says this, he says, American Christians are drinking a cocktail that's a mix of the Protestant work ethic, the American dream, and the gospel. And we've intertwined them so completely, we can't tell them apart anymore. Our gospel has become a gospel of following your dreams and being good so God will make your dreams come true. It's the Oprah God. We've completely taken this Disney notion of when you wish upon a star, your dreams come true, and melded that with faith and come up with something completely different. There's something wrong in a culture that preaches that nothing is more sacred than your dream. I mean, we walk away from marriages to follow our dreams. We abandon children to follow our dreams. We hurt people in the name of our dreams, which as a Christian is just preposterous. That's where this crowd was this day. They just wanted their bellies filled again. Do for me, Jesus. Give me what I want. Make me happy. Now, Jesus... He faced and overcame that same temptation as this crowd when he was in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, at the beginning of his ministry, fasting, and he got hungry. And Satan came along and tempted him to take his divine power that God was using through him to bless others to fill his own belly. Turn these rocks into bread. Jesus, you got trust me, in Israel, there's plenty of rocks. There's a buffet of bread right here for you, Jesus. And you know how he overcame that temptation? He turned to Scripture and he quoted and he said, It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man does not live on bread alone, on physical food alone. It's so easy for us to get sidetracked and distracted by our physical needs and desires, isn't it? I mean, you know, for this sermon, I thought, you know, I should get a bunch of people to bake some fresh-baked bread and bring it in here. Maybe even have some of those bread machines set up in here, baking bread. So when everybody comes in, they can smell the bread. Wouldn't that be a great thing? And I thought, that would be a disaster. You guys are already It gets close to 12 o'clock. I know you're thinking, oh, the Methodists are going to beat us to lunch today. Like they do every day. I don't want to... You know, make that any worse by having the smell of fresh baked bread in here today. Because we get so easily distracted. We, we get our desires, our hungers, our thirsts can, can pull us this way and, and the next. And it's easy for us to think that if I had more money, or if I had less weight, or if I had a new car, or a new job, that that would solve my problems. That that would make me happy. But these things never satisfy. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And then you get over there and you're like, no, wait a minute, the grass is greener on the other side of that fence. And you get over there, oh, nope, the grass is greener on the other side of that fence. There's always greener grass on the other side of somebody's fence, right? So what Jesus teaches us here is that spiritual food is better. It's greater than physical food. And when we come to Jesus, He will satisfy our hearts. He will give us the peace and the joy and the purpose the world can never give. When we feast on Jesus, we discover a better purpose, a better goal, a better focus for our lives. Secondly, the bread of life satisfies us with a better work to perform. Look uh, back at verse uh, 28. "'What can we do to perform the works of God?' they asked. And Jesus replied, "'This is the work of God, that you believe in the One He sent.'" And then down in verse 47 and 48, He says, Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So here Jesus addresses a common misunderstanding of salvation. People think they have to work their way into God's favor. That if you perform enough works for God, you can somehow make restitution for all of your sins, which is ridiculous because our sins are an eternal affront to an infinitely holy God. It's a gap that you and I can never build a bridge long enough to cross. Our sins are that great. That's why Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us have become like something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. It's filthy rags. What we think is so glorious, Oh, look, God, what I'm doing for you. Look what a good person I am. He looks down at it, and through our sins all he sees is a filthy rag. Now, at this point in John's Gospel, Jesus has confronted this misunderstanding of righteousness and salvation at least three times that I can find. The first is John 3 with Nicodemus, the Pharisee. And Nicodemus, he thought that he could impress Jesus with his morality and his rule following and his law-keeping and his political stature and his, his ethnic and religious background. He thought that's going to impress Jesus. He had this long resume. And what does Jesus say to him Nicodemus, you must be born again from above. Born again. Infants don't have diplomas and certificates on the wall, do they? They don't have a resume to point to. Jesus said you've got to put all that aside and be born again. You've got to become like a child. The woman at the well in the next chapter, John 4, she thought that Jesus would care about her reputation and her ethnicity and her socioeconomic status and her gender, things that she was ashamed of, things that were a barrier for her. And then she thought, well, maybe Jesus cares because I'm a Samaritan and I worship on a different mountain than where Jews worship. And this is what Jesus said to her. He said, everyone who drinks that kind of water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give will never thirst, but will become a spring welling up in Him to eternal life. And then the Pharisees in the next chapter, John chapter 5, they thought that if they just studied the Old Testament Scriptures enough, they could figure out the the, the mystery to salvation. If they just studied the Bible more, then that would be enough to be saved. And Jesus said, God's Word doesn't dwell in you because you don't believe in the One He sent. You diligently study the Scriptures because you think by them you can find eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about Me and yet you refuse to come to Me to have life. Jesus sets the record straight. Faith in Him is better and greater than our self-righteous works. First, Paul says in Ephesians 2, you are saved by grace through faith, and it's not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared ahead of us of time for us to do. And as I like to say, we're not saved by faith plus works. We're saved by faith that works. Saving faith, the essence of saving faith isn't just something you have. It's not just something you think in your brain. It's, it's an act of trust that you are placing in who Jesus is and what He came to do by dying on the cross and rising from the grave for the remission of our sins. And Jesus says that the only work that's necessary for salvation is to believe in Him to trust in what He has done for us. We see in this story, obviously it's not enough to just see Jesus' miracles. It cracks me up how they're just like, Jesus, what sign are you going to do for us? Hello? Have you not been paying attention? I mean, He's already done multiple signs, including He just fed all of them with a the little boy's lunch. If they're asking for more signs, it's not just enough to see His miracles. It's not just enough to go to church or read the Bible or be a good person or have been raised in a Christian home or to be a Baptist or whatever. Those things are great, but they all exist to point us to Jesus. He is the bread of life and nothing else can satisfy but Him. The bread of life gives us a greater purpose to live for, a greater work to perform, the work of trusting in and believing in Jesus Christ. And then third, the bread of life sustains us with better promises. Go back with me and look at verse 30. Uh, this is where they're saying, what sign are you going to do so we may see and believe? And, and what are you going to perform? you perform. Jesus, do something more for, for us again. And, and they say, you know, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness... Jesus says to them in verse 32, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. Sort of like the woman at the well. When Jesus talks about the, the spring of water welling up to her life, she's like, you know, hey, give me this water so I don't have to come to this well anymore. They're missing the point. They're thinking He's talking about literal bread and literal water. And so Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. And no one who comes to Me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in Me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen Me. And yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives Me will come to Me. And the one who comes to Me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do My own will, but the will of Him who sent Me. This is the will of Him who sent Me, that I should lose none of those He has given Me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And then flip over with me. Let's pick up what He says in verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you do not have life in yourselves." The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. There are some amazing promises from Jesus in these verses that that are so much greater than anything Moses could have ever promised or done, so much greater than anything religion or politics or wealth could ever promise to do in our lives. When we fully turn to Jesus in faith, when we feast on Him, it changes everything. It changes our lives. Guess what? It will change the world. Let's think about these promises. In verse 35, Jesus tells us that if we feast on Him, we will never hunger. We'll never hunger. Now, I want to say right here that in in these passages of Scripture, Jesus is not talking about the Lord's Supper. Okay, This has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper. Don't confuse, as they did, the spiritual with the physical. Okay, just like the, the, the people there were like, oh, give us this bread, we'll eat it always. Like the woman at the well, oh, give me that water, I'm to come and draw water again. He's not talking about the Lord's Supper. Listen, there's nothing in these elements that have the power to save you. The, the crackers came from Amazon and the juice came from Walmart. <laughs> these are symbols that are pointing us to the true food and drink. And that is Jesus Christ Himself. They're symbols. Pointing us to that deeper reality that if we don't feast on Jesus, we have no life. We need Jesus to live spiritually just as much as we need bread and water to live physically. Look back at verse 51. Jesus even says, He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, the bread that I will give For the life of the world is My flesh. He's talking about dying on the cross for our sins. Jesus is the bread. He alone is our spiritual nourishment. He alone can satisfy our deepest needs and hungers and longings. He alone can give life. He is the bread of abundant and eternal life. So when we abide, when we, when we feast on Jesus, we are abiding in Him. Now, this leads into next week's sermon in John 15. Jesus uses a different analogy to sort of say the same thing He's saying here. He talks about that He is the, the, the vine and we are the branches. And if a branch doesn't abide in the vine, it can't bear fruit and it will wither and it will die and it will be thrown away to be burned because it's worthless. That if we've got to abide in Jesus, that's the same idea he's communicating here about feasting on Him. They're both telling us that as followers of Jesus, we have to dwell, we have to settle down and be at home with Jesus and let Him dwell within us by His Holy Spirit. And when that happens, then we'll be sustained daily by the bread who is Jesus Christ. He is the bread of abundant and eternal life because He died on the cross for our sins as the perfect sacrificial Lamb. At the very beginning of John's Gospel, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist himself says, look, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Jesus came to be that ultimate, final sacrifice for our sins. He came to die so that you and I might live. Just as we see in this Lord's Supper, just as... We heard in the choir song today, His body was broken and given as He hung upon that cross and gave His life so that He could be that living bread to feed us and sustain us and give us life forever and free. Feast on Jesus, you'll never hunger. Feast on Jesus, secondly, He tells us in verse 35, you'll never thirst. You'll never thirst. Now this harkens back to what Jesus said to the woman at the well and what He'll say, uh, as we've already looked at this, at the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember on that last great day of the feast there in John 6 through 8, He's talking about being the light of the world, but He also uses this analogy of water. He says in John 6, it says, On the last most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit, John says. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit. For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. The day of Pentecost hasn't come yet. But now that we live on the other side of Pentecost, the minute you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and become in you a spring of water. Willing up to eternal life. When we feast on Jesus, He satisfies our hunger. He quenches our thirst. It's like we learned about in Jesus the Good Shepherd. That If the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want, we shall not lack like anything. Because He makes us lay down in green pastures, He gives us plenty to eat. He leaves us beside still waters, He gives us plenty to drink. And David wants to make sure we know that he's not talking about physical grass and water. He says, He restores my soul. He meets the deepest needs and longings of our heart. Feast on Jesus, you'll never hunger or thirst. And then in verses 37 to 39, we see feast on Jesus and you'll never be cast out. Feast on Jesus and you'll never be lost never be cast out or lost. If you belong to Jesus, you are His forever. He's not going to lose one of His sheep. He's not going to cast out one of His sheep. He doesn't throw us away. Rather, He takes our sins and He throws our sins away as if to the bottom of the ocean to remember them no more. But you, He will never forget. He will never leave. He will never forsake. In John 10, in that chapter where we learned about Him being the gate for the sheep and the good shepherd, Jesus says this, My sheep hear My voice, I know them and they follow Me. I give them eternal life and they will, what? Never perish. That word never means never. (laughs) Never perish. No one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Listen, there is no clearer scripture on the security of the believer and the assurance of our salvation than this one. Jesus makes it clear that when you have eternal life, guess what? It's eternal. It's forever. When you're adopted into the family of God, guess what? You're His child forever. When the Spirit dwells within you and fills you with living water, it's forever. It will never run dry. No one, nothing in this world can make these kinds of promises to you. Yeah, but, but, but we try to look to others for approval, don't we? But we try to look at our own accomplishments. We, we get distracted by the world's shiny little trinkets. And when we do that, we're always disappointed. We're always let down. Anything other than Jesus will leave us hungry, thirsty, cast out, and alone. And so that brings us to the final thing. The bread of life solicits in us a better response. Look back at verse 41. Therefore the Jews started grumbling about Him. Because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can He now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to Me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. And then look down at uh, verse uh, 52 again. At that the Jews argued among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then drop down to verse 59. So he's saying these things while he's teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. And it says, therefore, when many of his disciples... And when it says disciples here, he's not talking about the twelve. He's just talking about all these people that have been following Him, listening to His teachings, seeing these miracles. It's this crowd of people following Him. And it says that when they heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in Himself that His disciples were grumbling about this, asked them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe, and the one, meaning of the twelve, who would betray him. Talk about Judas. He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So then Jesus turns and says to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So for some people, the bread of life is too tough to swallow. You know, religion is easier. Religion's like going back to that cookie jar on the counter again and again and again and again. It's sweet. It kind of satisfies for the moment. But guess what? You get hungry again. that cookie jar is just right there. Oh, it's so easy just to turn to your good works. Oh, it's so easy just to turn to what a wonderful person you are. Oh, it's so easy just to turn to pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and just doing what's expected. But it's all a deception. These things might satisfy you in the moment, but they do not last. Only turning to Jesus as the better bread will meet our needs and give us the peace, joy, and purpose that we long for. But following Jesus is hard That's why Paul referred to it as being crucified. That's why Jesus said it's like taking up your cross and denying yourself. It's not easy to do. Many in the crowd turned away from Jesus that day. They said, boy, that wide path over here is nicely paved, and it's nice and straight. This narrow way is hard. And they turned away from Jesus. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They didn't understand. This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? They didn't believe. Most of the people that day responded to Jesus' offer of true living bread the same way the Israelites responded to manna in the wilderness. They grumbled and complained. They questioned and doubted. And eventually they turned and they walked away from God. Even the Israelites in the wilderness started thinking about how wonderful slavery was in Egypt. All those pots of meat we could sit by and eat instead of this manna we've had day after day. My prayer is that you will not respond like that, but rather you would respond the way Jesus tells us to in these verses. He tells us in verse 45 that first we have to listen and learn. Yes, we should search the Scriptures diligently. Yes, we should read God's Word to learn more about who Jesus is. Paul even said in Romans ten seventeen that faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes from the message about Christ. But it's not just enough to listen to a preacher preach. It's not just enough to read the pages of a Bible. If that's all we do, we're no better than the Pharisees. You see, once we learn about the gospel of Christ, it then demands us to do something about it. It demands a response. And Jesus described it this way He said, Secondly, eat and drink. Eat and drink. Now, of course, this is a metaphor, like living water, like sheep in a pen, like a a branch in a vine. What Jesus is saying here is that we have got to feast on Him. We've got to go all in with Jesus. Think about it. When you eat and drink something, what do you do? You consume it and it goes into you. And it becomes a part of you. And it sustains you. And it strengthens you. And it gives you life and energy. Without food and drink, we die. We die. And as we'll see next week, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We'll wither and die if we're not grafted fully into the vine. If we're sheep out in the wilderness, we'll be hunted and killed by the enemy. If we don't have Jesus as the light of the world, we walk in darkness. If we don't come to Jesus to learn the truth, we live in ignorance. If we don't walk on Jesus as the way, we're lost in wandering. And if we don't come to Jesus who is life and the bread of life, we die in our sins. That's so Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's more than just believing things about Jesus. It's more than just receiving things from Jesus. It's receiving Jesus and it's committing ourselves wholly to Him. Peter finally understands it. And he takes this eat and drink analogy and he puts it into words that are a little bit easier for us. He said, believe and know. I love his response in verse 68 and 69. What a a perfect companion to his other confession of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter understands. He knows. He believes. He trusts in Jesus as the bread of life who alone can sustain and satisfy and quench and give life. To whom will we go, he says. To whom have you been going? Where have you been going to find what only Jesus can provide? Maybe you've got some worldly food you need to forsake today. Maybe you've been drinking out of some broken and dirty cisterns today. And you need to turn to the bread of life who can give you true food and true drink. My prayer is that you've not already turned to Jesus Christ in faith. You'll... You'll say what Peter said today. Lord, to whom else would we go? You have the words of eternal life, and I believe and know that You are the Holy One of God. Is that your confession of faith today? If you've never said that to Jesus and given your heart to Him, I invite you in just a moment to come and to do that today. Today is the day of salvation. Today you can feast on the bread of life. You can have your deepest hunger satisfied. You can drink from the source of living water that will never run dry. Whatever God is saying to you this morning, even as a believer, we can get distracted. Even as a believer, we can be deceived into thinking, well, I just need a little bit of this. I just need a little bit of that. Maybe this morning you need to renew your commitment to feasting on Jesus and letting Him sustain you. Maybe God is calling you to unite with this church. Whatever His Spirit is speaking, before we come to this Lord's Supper table, let's be obedient and respond. Would you stand with me and pray? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Jesus, the bread of life. We thank You for the Spirit, the the spring of water that wells up within us for eternal life. And I pray that Your Spirit would speak and guide each of us today and how we should respond and prepare ourselves to approach this table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.